Starbucks Japanese coffee mug brought back from Japan somewhere by a friend of mine who went on a mission trip. It's one of my favorites. I hope it's one of yours as well. We are in Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through 20. I'm going to read this passage for us. It's, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, the most vivid, real, um, I'm trying to think of the best, clairvoyant vision that we have or picture that we have in the New all of the New Testament of Jesus. It's not in the Gospels. This is the resurrected Christ. This isn't the, the, the incarnate, um, earthbound Jesus who died on a cross. This is the almighty risen. And John is going to tell us about his encounter with him. So let me read and we'll pray and we'll, we'll dive in. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me pray for us. Lord, bring this picture of yourself alive to us what we're really asking when you pray that is to bring yourself alive to us help us to see you clearly and thus to to be transformed and changed by that and so lord uh, we lift up our time in your name we pray amen a couple of things to note that i don't think are the primary points of this passage but i think are just noteworthy nonetheless one is note that John is writing, and he says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We know from church history, we also know from other places in the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians 16, that the Sabbath in the Christian community um, was Sunday, the first day of the week. The, the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday, uh, the last day of the week. And, and, and this was changed in Christian worship because of the resurrection was on the first day of the week, Sunday. And this was the time that Christians would punctuate their lives in community together as a rhythm together together. Well, obviously John can't do that. 
just like many of you during this COVID season, he is, you know, maybe you feel like you're proverbially on um, and, you know, your island of Patmos and a rock quarry all by yourself. And this was certainly John's, um, John's experience, but note the yearning in his heart. Note that he is still setting aside this time, even when he's away from community. And you can just tell he longs so much to be with God and his people that he's still setting aside that time, even when he was on an island, even when he's by himself, to commune with God, to pray for these churches, to receive these visions. And so, so just an interesting note, something we can emulate um, from John's life. Second thing that, that's, that's interesting is that Jesus tells John to, to write what he's about to see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Remember, oral tradition was a big deal back then. And most everything, or, or on, a, on at least a day-to-day -day basis, was communicated via uh, oral tradition, memory, rhymes, um, catechisms, those sorts of things, because a lot of people didn't, didn't read. A lot of people didn't write. But it's interesting that Jesus instructs John to write these things down in an actual letter form, uh, probably multiple copies, or it could be one copy, we're not sure, to circulate around to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Don't have time to go into this this morning, but there's a lot of evidence to say that the, 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 the modern notion we have of bound books um, was probably um, had its genesis, okay, in the compilation of the New Testament, that all these letters were coupled together, these letters from the apostles directed to the early church. And um, at this time, you know, there were still scrolls and all those things, but with these scrolls and their, they, they need to be made use of and passed around, then this, this sparked the creation of what we, in modern times, know as sort of books with, that are bound together in different sections. And just a reminder, um, Four Oaks, that God has given us a book, that this is how we know him, this is how we relate to him. These people that John is writing to, um, they aren't seeing Jesus in the flesh like John is. So how is it that they are to know who Jesus is? It is through the word. And that's a big issue in our culture, in our society. We want to create a Jesus. We want to know a Jesus. We want to worship a Jesus that sort of stripped from its biblical context. Um, in other words, a Jesus that is sort of the creation of our own imagination versus the Jesus who truly reveals himself in the word of God. So there's just a couple things to note as, we, as we're jumping in here. Um, but remember that when we talked a couple of days ago about the revelation of John or the revelation of Jesus, this isn't just information about the future. The primary thing that's being revealed, we said, is Jesus himself. He's giving the revelation, and the revelation is of himself, his character, for, and for who he is. And what John is doing here, he's taking this encounter with Jesus, and he's putting it into apocalyptic language. And we're not super familiar with apocalyptic language. It's, it's sort of a mix of poetry and history and narrative all woven together to create a picture to leave an impression to jolt the senses like like going to a movie theater almost and one of the things you need to note is that the the primary source for john's 
apocalyptic um, visions and illusions are in fact the Old Testament. So here's an interesting bit of trivia. The book in the New Testament that most often cites the Old Testament, has the most Old Testament citations and allusions to it by far, okay, is the book of Revelation. Um, particularly the books of Daniel, the books of Ezekiel, those that have apocalyptic language in them. And remember the way that we're supposed to read apocalyptic language is, is, is not to imagine for a second that you know, as John is describing Jesus, that Jesus has like this literal sword coming out of his mouth, or that his, um, or that his his hair is on fire, or that he actually walks around with feet of bronze. Okay, this this is all meant to paint a picture. It's meant to to provide imagery. It's meant to to give us another way of seeing in a creative, descriptive way who Jesus really is. Now, we don't have time, but all of these um, illusions that John makes, apocalyptic illusions um, about Jesus, he's tying to some sort of common understanding the readers would have had about what these symbols meant. Okay, And so, so for example, um, he talks about Jesus clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Well, of course, this is imagery of a king okay this is how kings dress it's to remind them that jesus is king that he is lord it says verse 14 the hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow again to in in that time a white hair okay or white or, or gray hair was meant to denote wisdom right for the elderly well this idea is that jesus is the all purveyor and knower of wisdom he he, he rules over all he knows everything. It says his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a, in a furnace. This is relating to the, to the purity of Jesus. So here he is. He's ruling. He's powerful. He's all-knowing. He's holy. Um, it says his voice was like the roar of many waters. Okay. In his right hand, um, it says out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And so this is again denoting power, authority, that Jesus speaks and things happen, that he is in control, that he is full of majesty. And you can see now this amazing picture that, that John is describing of Jesus and how effective that is versus just telling us, well, you know, Jesus is powerful and mighty and awesome and he's true. He's giving them imagery that they would have related to and it comes alive. He's painting a picture. Now, a good study, if you want to do on your own, is take Scotty Smith's book or the G.K. Beale commentary uh, that we've been working with, and there's some exposition on these things. Where in the Old Testament is John drawing from? What allusions is he referencing in Daniel and Ezekiel and the other prophets? And it, it gives us um, a much deeper, fuller appreciation. And remember how important this would have been Okay, for the readers, because they were living in a context where um, everything seemed out of control. Um, there was a literal sword picked up against them. There was um, a literal king um, um, allied against them. But John is setting that opposite um, to who Jesus is, and he's showing them who's the true king. Who's truly in control? Who truly speaks with a powerful word? Who is truly eternal? And one of the things I think 
to note about this vision, um, and this is and this is I think would have been incredibly comforting to them. It says that verse twelve that John saw this voice, turned to see who was speaking. He turning and he saw Jesus walking in the midst of the lampstands. Now John tells us later that these lampstands are in fact symbolic of the churches. Okay, that that's the that's the apocalyptic imagery. Sometimes John tells us what these symbols mean. Other times they don't. Uh, he doesn't because they would have been obvious to the to the to the original readers. And sometimes it's hard it's a, it's hard to determine exactly what these things mean. But we're gonna we'll, we'll dive into that. But here it's very clear: these seven lampstands are the seven churches, and and, and they're what are they doing? Well, they're not doing anything. It's Jesus who has come down to them and is walking amongst them and is present amongst them in all his glory. It could have been incredibly comforting to them. And, and, and a question is, if, if, if Jesus were to show up at your house today, now we know his spirit lives within us, but I mean appears to you or I like he appeared to John, what would we do? And I think we would do exactly what John did. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. We would be hugging the carpet. We'd be um, eating the tile on our kitchen floor, right? We, we, we couldn't get low enough and because we're recognizing who Jesus is. And it reminds us Jesus is not to be trifled with. Jesus is not just our co-pilot, you know, our fishing buddy. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we are to live lives of awe and worship to him. At the same time, we, we know that he's also Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what we see in verse 17, when Jesus lays his hand on John and says, fear not. In other words, it's okay, John. Um, I've died for you. I've made a place for you in my kingdom. You're now one of my priests. And so come with me. I've got some important things to show you as your risen king and risen lord and so again all of these things are are meant to have a very personal tie into us and what we're going to see okay is in these next admonitions to the churches so the next seven days we're going to look at uh, the admonition or the word to each of these churches what john does he takes a piece of that imagery of jesus okay and he applies it to a specific pastoral need that the churches have in their context. So for example, in chapter two, he's writing to the church in Pergamum, and he talks about the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Well, they, church in Pergamum, needed to be reminded, okay, of the truth of God's word. They need to be reminded of the power of God's word. And so John takes that aspect of Jesus's character and applies it specifically to that church and he does that for all the churches and uh, a reminder for us that theology is far from irrelevant and esoteric and and distant from us although we could be treated and taught that way that's not how it's meant to shape our spiritual lives that the more grounded we are theologically the more knowledgeable we are biblically um, as we're going to see in, in this book, the more we can truly apprehend and know who Jesus is by the power of his spirit. Guys, we, we can hardly do service to this text in here in these 15 or 20 minutes. So I encourage you 
to go back through, use the use some of your resources that we've recommended to you and begin to, to do word studies, picture studies on these illusions, where they come from, what they're telling us about Jesus and as and as well what they mean for us in the context of our lives. And that's where we're going to pick back up tomorrow, same time, same station, as we look at the church in Ephesus. Let me pray for us. We'll go about our day. Lord, help this vision of you, Jesus, to be ever present in our hearts and minds today. Let it be the well that we draw strength from. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Go before us now. In your name we pray.